Welcome to Rights Conversations, a policy and legal advocacy center podcast series focused on the subject of human rights. This is episode two of Plaque's Rights Conversations. My name is Amachi Onyabo, your host. We will be discussing the topic safeguarded economic and social rights in Nigeria. Our guest on this episode is Eze Onyebere, Executive Director at Center for Social Justice, Sensorge. We're happy to have you, sir, and he'll be giving us an insight on this topic. My pleasure. Please, how would you define social and economic rights? Social and economic rights are those rights arising from the inequalities of our humanity. They are rights that are very basic and necessary for human survival. Uh, these rights include rights like the right to adequate housing, the right to adequate food, the right to the best attainable state of physical and mental health, water and sanitation, education, and the right to work. So these are the rights that create the content for what you can consider to be other rights or more broad rights. For instance, if you are discussing the right to life and you do fail to understand that you have to feed, which is about the right to food, to be alive, you'll be having a misunderstanding of what life is about. And you cannot discuss the right to life without discussing the right to health because the easiest way to deprive a person of his or her right to life is to deprive him or her of health-supporting conditions to the point of abrogation. It could be ordinary malaria if you mismanage it and the person is gone in the next couple of days. So these are irreducible minimums for a civilized existence, for the sustenance of life on planet Earth, and for some kind of fulfillment of most of the other rights that we call, particularly we call the first generation rights because economic and social rights uh, refer to a second generation rights, which I find to be a misnomer because you have to be alive first of all when you eat, when you are clothed, when you are housed, before you can begin to think of much more final rights uh, than your right to free speech and all those listed as uh, first generation rights. Because I don't believe in the dichotomy of rights, trying to pigeonhole them into first, second, third or fourth generation because I see rights as indivisible, inseparable and of course contributing to one continuum, the pool of refining and making life much more worth living. So can you tell us the domestic and international instruments that provide for socio-economic rights? Well, starting at the international level, we have the Standard Setting Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which captured various provisions relating to economic, social and cultural rights. Uh, beyond that, we have the fuller definition of economic and social rights in the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, which is a twin of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Uh, we have standards like the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which has set various standards on education, housing, health, and generally treating children in their best interests. We have CEDA, which is the Convention for the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, which has made strategic provisions for the rights of women to be part of society on an equal footing in matters of economic and social rights. We also have regional instruments like the African Charter on Human and People's Rights, which made various provisions for economic and social rights, as well as the protocol dealing with the rights of women in Africa. 
So that is at the international level. Of mm. course, we have a plethora of what I consider to be soft law, declarations, uh, end of in major international conferences, they usually have a communique or a concluding statement of observation. So all of this provide a background at the international level. At the national level, we have a constitution which has the fundamental objectives and directive principles of state policy, which provides for both education, health, economic objectives. Although stricter sensu they may not be justiciable as being the sources of founding a course of action in court before a court of law, but the exclusive legislative list makes it clear that the executive and legislature can collaborate and make laws founded on these in chapter 2 of the constitution which can be used to create specific rights and duties for both the government and the citizens. So in that respect, we have laws like the Universal Basic Education Act which talks about free compulsory universal basic education in support of the right of education of every child. You have laws like the recently enacted health insurance authority law which has now made the you know acquiring health insurance compulsory because if you acquire health insurance it will reduce the out-of-pocket expenditure which has been an obstacle for people assessing health care when they are sick so you are contributing to universal health coverage and the right to the highest attainable state of physical and mental health so there are quite a plethora of other laws which we can begin to give as an instance so it is beholden on the federal government and the state governments to see the provisions in our constitution, in these various charters that we have uh, uh, ratified, which they can essentially make actionable and make realizable before uh, domestic jurisdiction, either through new laws, through the budget, or through policy action. So we want to know, what are your thoughts on the state of education, employment, housing, healthcare, and the general standard of living in Nigeria? So cases in point now, um, the industrial strike by lecturers um, under the um, umbrella of ASU, um, strike by healthcare workers, um, the minimum wage, false scarcity, shortage of power supply. What are your thoughts? Well, we have a scandalous situation in our hands in terms of uh, the realization of the right to an adequate standard of living because that will more or less encapsulate all these other rights because whether you say education, health, water, food is all about the adequacy of the standard of living for the average Nigerian. We are all living witnesses that the mismanagement of our economy and of course critical governance challenges and issues are the inability of the leadership at federal and state levels to manage the resources well, to unite Nigerians towards a common cause, to of course reduce insecurity in the land has led to this scandalous situation where the realization of economic and social rights now is a mirage. Macroeconomic fundamentals like inflation, the exchange rates have made it impossible for even whatever people have in their hands to be able to pay, uh, to pay for their needs. Whether you talk about the first scarcity, the diesel costing almost 800 naira a liter from less than 200 a couple of weeks ago. So everything is headed south, and that's the wrong direction. But there is nothing in the laws, or there's nothing in policy that says everything must head south. It's about the quality of leadership, it's about the focus of the intellect of the leadership, or the, 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 the lack of capacity to be able to harness the resources of Nigeria for the common good. And when we discuss resources, 
Resources is not about money per se. That's the common mistake most of us make. When we discuss resources, the biggest resource of any nation is the human resource. It's the human being who makes the world go round. Okay, so it's not about whether you have a billion dollars. Because there are people who will always snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I'll give you an instance. The current administration used to talk about the Wests in previous administrations, how they sold oil above $100 per barrel and still mismanaged the economy. For the past three, four, five, six months, oil has been selling above that. We are not even able to meet our OPEC quota. In the past, what countries do is to simply, yes, there's an OPEC quota, you're an oil producing nation, but what you do once in a while, when the authorities at OPEC look out, you do 100,000 or 200,000 barrels to make some extra money and give excuses why you do that. We cannot even meet. So we have a human capacity that is so deficit, you know, a huge deficit and derelict that we cannot even meet the minimum standards of say just dig out crude oil and sell. And then the little quota, because we are talking about 1.8 million barrels a day, which we are doing 1.2, 1.3. So is the capacity deficit in governance that is leading us to where we are. What is your take on the effectiveness of some of the social schemes um, by the current administration, such as the National Homegrown School Feeding Program and Power Trader Money, to mention a few? You can't be wrong and get right, no matter how hard you try. It's not, I mean, this is not a saying original to me, I'm sure. I don't know how old when Jimmy Cliff sang this song in those days. The point is that once you design a program, that was not properly you know thought through and once there is lack of nobility of volition from the beginning all right there is no way that program can solve the problem it proposed to solve the home feeding program was not designed to solve any problem it was designed as a conduit pipe you could hear the minister say during covid that he fed everybody lying through her teeth and you expect me, who I know he never fed me, nor my children, nor did he fed, were you fed, or your brothers and sisters? Do you know that Nigeria is even borrowing money to do some of those programs? We, how can that be sustainable? Do you borrow to go do giveaway, or do you borrow to invest? At a point, you are using 98% of your revenue to service debts. So th those programs are not impactful. They, they are not, because they are supposed, for instance, that program is supposed to increase retention capacity in schools. It's supposed to reduce the number of children, out-of-school children. Is it reducing or increasing? I throw the question back to you. So, is the conduit pipe for corruption? And to the extent that it wasn't well thought out, and to the extent that there's no nobility of volition in the way it was designed in the first place, I don't expect so much out of it. It's garbage in. In the light of the actions of several players domestically and globally uh, um, to impact the state of the economy, do you think that this affects the ability of our government to fulfill the economic and social rights of Nigerians? Of course, you cannot separate the state of the economy from the protection and fulfillment of economic and social rights. If the government has been run in such a way and manner that you are using 98% of your money, to service debts, and you are borrowing money to pay salaries. So how can you do health? How can you respond to lecturers who are on strike? Because you've got your priorities wrong. In other countries where they borrow, they invest in critical infrastructure and human capital, so that as you are investing, 
those borrowed money, it is increasing your revenue base so that in future you have enough revenue to pay and continue doing other things. Money was borrowed, mismanaged, some of them stolen. So at the point we are supposed to pay back, there is nothing. It has not created any new source of revenue. So to the extent that we don't even understand basic macroeconomic policies, like issues around monetary and trade policy, we don't have men and women who understand what it means to rigid the economy, okay? Who understand what it means to make a currency, you know, retain its value. Then there's no way you can be discussing economic and social rights. The children who are at home, students who have been at home at four months ago, are you discussing their right to education? Right? Houses where people now stay in darkness perpetually. How can you begin to talk of adequate housing when you don't have those basic infrastructure like facilities like you can't even cook food and leave it in the fridge to get sour? Mosquito will be biting people. Fan can't even drive, help you drive away mosquito or blow some coal on your head to sleep. So there is no point for discussion. When your take-home pay takes you nowhere near home, the right to adequate standard of living is imperiled. Well, what measures, if any, can citizens take to ensure the protection of their socio-economic rights? The starting point is clear. Every right is dependent on politics. Every right is dependent on the quality of governance. So I thus see the protection and promotion of human rights in any society is directly proportional to the quality and capacity of governance in that society. And quality and capacity of governance is directly related to your politics, who is assuming the reins of power. So the first starting point is to clear the cobwebs that are currently, uh, I'm sorry to use that word, but I have no apologies. The cobwebs that are currently occupying the seats of power and never allow their ilk anywhere near the corridors of power at all levels. Elect men and women who understand what the issues are, who have a heart for their fellow citizens, and who, not just having a heart, who also have some inherent capacity to turn around things, because this is not rocket science. We have men and women who can do it, but to the extent that farmers can no longer go to their farms because of insecurity, that's the link in the visibility of all human rights. You go to the farm, you die. You don't go to the farm, you starve. So what do you choose? Starving or dying? So the first starting point is politics, governance. Let's get the wrong men out of the right room. The wrong men and women are in the right room. And if we don't get them out of there, they're in a driver's seat. They're the pilot of a fully loaded Boeing aircraft that's carrying about 400 passengers. And by the way they're behaving, they're drunk. They're already, they are suicide prone. So the best thing is to see if among those who are in the passenger class, you discover there is an experienced pilot there. If you can get in there quietly and take the drunken pilot out and somebody who knows how to manage the craft. Otherwise we're all gone. So can you tell us what your experience has been holding government to account um, in seeking redress for the violation of people's rights in the scope of your work at Sensorge? It's been a difficult assignment because most of it has been to look at, first of all, issues around corruption. 
because we discovered that there's always there was always a complaint of there's no money, but we can see money stolen, mismanaged, misappropriated. So the experience has been trying to use the legal system, freedom of information, filing actions, working with Auditor General to see what we can do in terms of recovering stolen money. Also, instances where we are looking for declarations or other amendments for the government to perform public duties, which will help to alleviate the condition of the people in terms of improving the living standards. So it's been one hell of a challenge, but the whole idea is that it takes two to tango. If somebody made a mistake and you are trying to correct him and he discovered he wanted to do the right thing, so it's easy for the person to change, right? If you point out what apparently is a mistake, so, oh, I'm sorry, I agree with you. But if what appears to be a mistake is where the man or woman had wanted to go from day one, while he's claiming he's going the other way, there's hardly anything you do to make him change course. Because these days, the impunity has reached so much that nobody gets, uh, nobody gets uh, counts of public opinion. Even public opinion doesn't move the current administration anymore. Alright? They have alternative facts. I mean, they are masters of alternative facts. Masters of telling you that the best thing that has happened to us is sliced bread. So, it's been a hectic challenge, but we must not give up. In the light of all of this, what is your call to Nigerians on human rights protection? We should not give up. We will continue the struggle. Let's not give up the fight. But the struggle and the fight is not something for the faint at it. It's not a sprint run. It's more than a mile Because I can say, I would like to sometimes I ask myself, am I better today than I have been in 1998-99? when, um, you know, we had civil rule. If you, if you had so much consciousness, then if you had grown up enough, and you see what the value of the Naira was in 1999, what your life was, and you can compare, you may not likely end up with taking 2022 better than 1999. Although I may think, because I, I may think not for the general population, Yes, as a lawyer, as a professional growing up, so definitely you are growing. You are making more money, you know more people, good. But for the general populace, I doubt if they can. I doubt if they can take that's, that's my point of view, sir. Thank you very much, sir, for coming on today's show. We really appreciate you coming to speak as a guest on the second episode of Plaques uh, Rights Conversations. Thank you very much, sir. Pleasure. This is Plaques Rights Conversations. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe and stay up to date with upcoming episodes. Ensure to follow Plaque across our social media platforms at Plaque NG.